This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratocast. Bring it to you after a goalless stalemate at the Emirates. Manchester United didn't get what they wanted against Arsenal. It was disappointing, Mike, to drop points again. I know in the grand scheme of things, people might point to the fact that you're travelling away to Arsenal, it's good to pick up a point, but what we're going to have a look at on, 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 the, on this episode is United's record this season against the, the big six, I guess, not the top six, because I think that includes Arsenal. But um, just to run through it, Mike, it's at home was the first game, losing 6-1 to Spurs. Then at home, a goalless draw with Chelsea. At home, we lost 1-0 to Arsenal. At home, goalless draw against City. Away, goalless draw against Liverpool. And away yesterday, goalless draw against Arsenal. That counts for one goal in Manchester United's favour in the 6-1 defeat against Spurs. That doesn't read well, Mike. No, and then you have to take that into the greater context of four semi-final defeats on the spin as well. So this is part of a, of a greater problematic trend that United seem to be unable to get themselves over the line in big games. And if you can't get yourself over the line in big games, Dale, you're not going to win trophies. It's very, very simple. You are not going to be a serious contender if you can't win those big games. That's why Tottenham didn't really win, haven't won anything in the last few years because they couldn't get over the line in big matches, Dale. And this is going to be a real problem for United. Yesterday, Arsenal in the first half were there for the taking. They were missing three really important players. They were very skittish, especially in the first 25 minutes. And United were just so passive again, just did not force the pace of the game. I do think some of this stems from the fact that United are just unable to really press high up the pitch because we don't have a defence that is capable of playing a high line. We have one defender who is capable of playing in a high line and he's good on the ball. And then the other three are not. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that later. So that doesn't help. It just means United drop deeper and deeper and deeper as the game goes on. And you saw that in the first half. And in the second half, United was so deep. Like, Arsenal had a spell of about 10 or 15 minutes where they probably should have scored one or two goals because United just sat too deep and they just let them have the ball. And Emil Smith-Rowe was just picking up pockets of space and finding little thread, threaded passes because he was allowed to do so, because he had the space and the time to do it. And my concern is that I looked at that game and I looked at the way 
the manager and the players were talking about after the game and really after the cup game against Liverpool. And this seems a club that is quite content and happy with where it is. And that's a real problem. Okay, because on that, with the question that's been asked in from the Facebook group that we run, Mikey O'Brien says, Manchester have not beaten the big six rivals in the Premier League this season. Do you think this is good enough for a team that calls themselves the biggest in the world? I'm trying to understand what 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 he's getting at here in terms of the biggest in the world because Manchester United are the big, are one of the biggest clubs in the world. You know whether whether we we lost to Arsenal yesterday, whether we drew to Arsenal, whether we drew to Ars- whether we draw against Arsenal for the next five years, Manchester United are the biggest club in the, or one of the biggest clubs in the world, the biggest club in England by some stretch. That doesn't change, but I think what he's getting to is what. Solskjaer's job as Manchester United manager is to get us back as the best team in England, to get us back on the on the top of English football. And with these results, we are not seeing, we are not seeing that. that yeah. And that's the draw against Leicester as well. I think we can include Leicester City as a team being up there of where they've been in the last few years, right? And that was a game we were ahead in the last ten minutes and we threw it away. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is something that I've even spoke about before we played Arsenal on the podcast, Mike, was about this next hurdle, about how we've we've lost semi finals and we, we get on these fantastic runs of form and then we get to this hurdle where we don't we don't cross it. We do, we don't clear it cleanly. And it's a draw against Arsenal or a draw against Liverpool. And you have to put it some context into it as well. As you mentioned, Arsenal were missing some key players. Liverpool not long ago were missing key players. And we bet them in the FA Cup, but in the league we we still we still kinda of sat back a bit passively. And we did we didn't Yeah, Liverpool advantage. were worse in it. Liverpool played okay in the league in the cup game. Hmm. So that league game they were really there for the taking though. Yeah, no, I and I, I, I think look to kind of I think with the way you want me to answer the question is I look at the way Manchester United have improved this season. We're taking, we're, we've spoken about the results against the big six and we've obviously gone backwards a little bit on that. But the, the league table, how we've been sitting at the top briefly and that currently speaking, we're still in with a shout of making something happen this season. No one on this podcast has ever said that Manchester United are going to win the title. What I said was, why shouldn't we, why shouldn't we believe we could? You know, every team, every team in this mix, I'm putting Leicester in. You know, why Why shouldn't those players believe that they could do something this season? Because they should be hanging on to that right now and they should be driving towards it. My problem is Manchester United have lost against Sheffield United, now, now drop points against Arsenal, and they're two qu- quick kick blows. Two big blows in quick succession. And it's just like looking at the next fixtures. And before we came on, Mike, we had a look. United are at home to Southampton on Tuesday night, and then on Saturday we're at home to Everton before an FA Cup game against West Ham. These next three games are big, and they need to win all three. Yes, they do. They have to. They have to win them. And I actually want to go a little further ahead in this in this fixture list here, and just and just see where United are going to even be coming after that. I mean, you've got. You've got um, the Europa League starts kicking in after that. And then at the end of February, you've got Chelsea. And then you've got Man City a week after that as well in the league. And then West Ham a week after that in the league. So United have to build some momentum going into the 28th of February when they've got Chelsea and Manchester City back-to-back league games. 
It's, it's really imperative to build up the momentum again. And this is January, February, really is a, t- a time where um, teams who consider themselves in the mix for the league can really fall away. I think back to the 2007 and eight season. Really, United's main challenges that season were Arsenal up until February. And then Arsenal just fell away in February. And then by the time you got to the last few games of the season, it was actually Chelsea who were in the mix to challenge. And this is where United have to be really careful. I'm not suggesting for the second Chelsea are going to challenge because they've just changed their manager and they're having to change everything all over again. But that's not to say Liverpool get one or two players back and suddenly surge back up and challenge Man City again. There's every chance of that happening. I'm not worried about United that, to... I'm not worried um... about Liverpool this season. I'm really not. Like I, I don't see any be. reason to be. I don't, I don't think so, though. Like looking at them this season, it's been such a drop-off. And people are all keep saying that, oh, in, whatever about injuries and players coming back. Van Dijk won't be back this season. He won't be back this season. And, and they struggle. Matthew can't play two games a week. They haven't, they haven't refreshed that squad. Klopp has asked for that to happen. And he's constantly said that he's not in the power to, to sign players. I, I look at this season. I know it's, 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 it's a clusterfuck for most teams with the fixture congestion. And every, every team can use that as an excuse. But that Liverpool team won the league last season. And it was the time then to freshen a few areas. They didn't do that. And I look into next season, people saying, what if they get 90 points? Not a chance. Not a chance. They have too much work to do. Way too much work to do. And maybe they might right, surprise but, but, us this but season. If they, but... if, they win, if they win the game in hand they've got on us, they're one point behind us. Yeah. They beat Spurs. We didn't beat Spurs. We got tonked 6-1. They went beaten 3-1. They beat them comfortably. But I think so, it's telling how, how bad we were last season. And I think how we're still complaining about certain aspects of this Manchester United team. But as you mentioned, they win their game in hand. The champions of last season are, what, a point behind us? It's a big drop-off. Big drop-off. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big drop-off. But if we drop more points against Southampton, and then by the time we get to Chelsea, we're really desperate... I think Liverpool will have gone ahead of us by then, Dale. Like but, you, you cannot, you cannot. You, what the difference is for all the drop off you talked about this season? You're talking about a team because City had the same drop off last season. They dropped off the same way yeah. last season. You're talking about a team that has a winning habit, that knows how to win. So you really have to be careful with this. You really have to be careful just writing them off. I think it'd be much more prudent. It would actually be much more coherent to write United off because I, st- I watch, still watch United and I still see a team that's not Gary Neville said it yesterday, they're a team that plays in moments, they're not a cohesive, coherent team at all we still have a Keystone Cops defence like this is not a um, we still have a, a really imbalanced midfield that lacks real forceful presence in there There's a lot of, we, we lack, we lack, we see, we apparently lack a, a, a a real goal scoring centre forward. I know we've got Cavani, Dale, but he's not playing every week right now, so I don't know what the situation is with him. You know, we're still we're still showing loyalty to guys like Anthony Martial. You see the way I the way I see this what we're talking about between Manchester United and Liverpool is I see yesterday as Manchester United conceded ground in the title race. Um with Arsenal, a battling draw with Arsenal, that's not good enough. You expect to beat Arsenal, whether at home or away. And we can see the ground in the title race. But we're now being brought into that conversation now with Liverpool. If they win their game in hand, that they're a point behind us. I, I, I think that's more fitting. I think what we're going to see this season 
Um, if we continue this spell and we don't come out of it quickly, <clears throat> we're going to be in a fight for the top four. And that's about where this team is. Uh, it's, and it's where I'm telling you this Liverpool team is too. I, I think next season they're going to have bigger problems. There's already talk that are they going to keep Mohamed Salah happy? Is Mane going to still be there? And these players could start breaking away. And what I said about last summer is they did not start refreshing in that squad. And what you're going to see well, what, there what is... about What about United? United's best player in the yeah, last 10 games yeah. is probably going to leave in the summer. I, I don't how think so. Bri- how long is Bruno Fernandes going to be... Yeah. Happy at a club it's when a he val- sees a group, when he sees a, a, a group of coaching staff, and this is a culture that comes from the board, by the way, that yeah. seems to be content with just kind of being in and around the top four and not actually pushing to win trophies and be the best team. Is he going to stick around? I don't see that. Absolutely, but th- that's we brought Fernandez in because we lack the player of that winner mentality, and I totally agree. If it comes to, I don't think he gone this season. But next year, he might start scratching his head if he doesn't see the improvements. But the improvements we've seen since he's come in have been encouraging. And, and to answer the question of why I wouldn't write United off the same way I write Liverpool off, is I see United as a team that's actually building. Still, even though we're dropping points right now, I still see it as a team that's getting better and will be better next season. Liverpool, on the other hand, I just... I, I, I don't, why, why, I don't... Why, do you think, why, why do you think United will be better next season? What evidence have you got to suggest they're going to be better next season? I think next season there will be a right winger. I think there'll be a lot more clarity over the front three. I think what we're discussing right now under Anthony Martial is, is a real problem. We don't know... We, we don't have a, a goal-scoring forward right now. None of our forwards are scoring goals. Cavani hasn't played enough games, I'd argue. Again, Sheffield should have started that game. You mentioned that perhaps too loyal to Martial, I think that's a big problem. Um, going into next season, there has to be more clarity over who our front three is. And I think having a right winger really, really helped that. Um, I, I just see Manchester United as a team. I still believe it, that this what about team the is defense? building. What about the, def- the defence in the midfield? Because Solskjaer's number one target for the defender in Upper Meccano very much looks like he's going to Bayern Munich. Mm. So that is off the table. So their number one target for the defender, who has all the attributes that maybe only one centre-half that United have actually has in Eric Bailly, but he can't stay fit and he can't be trusted to concentrate for the 90 minutes, is going and there doesn't seem to be an alternative out there. And then we're left with Victor Lindelof, Eric Bailly. Axel Twanzebe, we don't know how good old Barry is because we've not seen enough of him, but he needs to be getting regular football. And then Harry Maguire, who is a £20 million centre-half that we paid £80 million for. I just don't understand. Uh, yeah. That's a real problem. Uh, so, and, and the midfield as well is another big, big issue. Yeah, look, there's, there's issues, definitely. Definitely issues. But I don't. I, I think with a good summer... This question: Will we get it? Because we we can very much accept as customers that we this this club and the way this board operates is to be in and around the Champions League places. I'm just hoping because what I see from Bruno Fernandez and what I see from Ali Galasosar is they want United at the best at the top, and they're going to try and push boundaries as far as they can to make that happen. I can see us getting better. I can't see Liverpool getting better. Um, James Gorse asks and it's a question on, on Martial for you Mike why did Oli put Martial on to replace Scott McTominay instead of Greenwood this is kind of something that we discussed last week on the podcast too I mentioned that I would like to see Greenwood play more um, but yesterday Mike he, he went with Martial in the first half 
yeah, comes back to what I've said about Ollie seems to be able to make tough decisions on on certain players. There is, if you are going to have the best team that win, that is better than everyone else, you have to be really, you do have to be quite ruthless with how you deal with some of your players. If the players are not up to scratch, you do have to move them on. He seems unwilling to do this with Anthony Martial. I think he'll still be a Man United player next season. He's not the only one. De Gea is another one. I know he's been a bit better, but he still doesn't fill me with confidence. Nor, again, if Oli wants to play a high-pressing, aggressive game, he's not a goalkeeper that can really play that way. It's a trend. Even the way he was talking about Lingard coming back to the club, he shouldn't be coming back to the club. He's 28 years old. He should be moving on. He should be moving on permanently. And he's not of requisite quality to be a United player. So, uh, Martial really is a, a symptom of what I worry is a greater problem with the club in that they seem to be unable to make tough decisions regarding certain players. And this is when I talk about a culture of complacency, I think, that's been at the club for a long time, which is why players have been getting contracts that they don't deserve. Anthony Marcel has been one of them. He's been getting contracts extensions that he really has not earned. Could there be um, voices uh, from the powers above, Mike, in, in in a sense that it was leaked in the media, I guess about two, three years ago, when Martial was having problems with Mourinho, that Joel Glazer, his favourite player, is Martial, and he thinks he's one of the best players in the world. We laugh, but... <laughs> Would it be in the realms of madness to actually think that's true? I, I, I suspect it probably is. At the end of the day, the Glazers are the one who have the final say over spending. The reason we didn't sign Harry Maguire for £80 million in Mourinho's final season was because they didn't think he was worth it. And the reason we did, one year later, was because apparently they thought he was worth it. He isn't. But that's what they thought. That's why... Do a straight swap what, with the Bucks and get Tom Brady in for the season. We bring the Premier League back. Uh, I don't want that Trump-supporting fiend <laughs> anywhere near Manchester United. Thank you. It's Fair bad enough. that we've already got Trump, Trump bankrolling fiends on in the club. With his fucking avocado ice cream breakfast. Mike, <laughs> um, um, Andrea Barton asks, why is the team devoid of passion, commitment and fighting spirit? That was That was very much on evidence yesterday and... And I've said this before in the post-Ferguson years about this fixture in general and how it lacks. But it bothers me when we play Arsenal and a score is drawn. I don't see players driving on and uh, trying to fucking grab the game with a scruff of the neck. That bothers me. Do these players understand what it means? And I know that sounds very cliched and whatever, but it does rile me up when I see us play Arsenal and it seems a little bit passive. Yeah, you know, because Arsenal were as well, but you could excuse Arsenal. But it was a really young Arsenal team out there yesterday, wasn't it? Mm. It's a lot of really young players, so you can maybe understand a little bit of that, especially when they're missing some of the senior figures around them. But yeah, we United, it goes back to what I've already said today, that what I was in a message yesterday. I think there is a culture of complacency and easy contentment at this club and among these players. It's not just the players. I think it's right throughout the club, to be honest. And until you get rid of that, we're going to be having this conversation again and again and again. The one thing just on that, okay, about the the club's kind of mentality and what they're, what they're accepting and mediocrity in recent years, 
do you feel that this Manchester United team, when you hear the players speak and they talk about playing for Manchester United and what this club is about, and a lot of the, a lot of these players haven't experienced what they're actually talking about, and they're living some of them perhaps with their heads in the cloud. Um, I think Roy Keane kind of touched on this in Sky Sports well, yesterday. Heads up somewhere. He heads up the backside, absolutely. And it's just like you haven't won anything. You talk about playing for this club, but you need to go now and own that. And I think I think that's an important message too. Like you, you drop points and players jump to social media and kind of kind of give a reason for what happened and say they're disappointed and that we'll bounce back and blah blah blah. I, I hate that. Yeah, I hate it. It's a load of crap. And if the if, if these yeah, players it's treating fans it, like idiots, it really bothers me. Like 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 I don't know feeding monkeys bananas. It's just it's just silly. Like it's like we're just this crowd that we're gonna clap and you know nonsense. If the players mean mean anything, okay, they'll come out next week whenever they're playing next and they'll just win a game of football. And then you can post on your social media and say good win lads or whatever and whatever you want to do. I don't care. But this shit after games that it's not good enough and we know it's not good enough. We know it's not good enough. We've experienced this team winning league titles. We don't need you to tell us about it because you haven't done it yet. Yeah, I know it's not good enough because I have to sit there and watch it. <laughs> there you go. Exactly, Mike. So, Howard Deakin asks... Now, this is a, a peculiar question because I wasn't expecting this one in. That's why I included it. Why is someone like Juan Mata, one of our most creative players, not getting any time on the pitch? And, Mike, would you put an argument forward for, for one? I don't know where you fit him in. It's actually going to be an improvement over the players in that position. That's... Donny van der Beek can't get fucking in at the moment. Uh, I know, I know. Mason Greenwood can't get in. I can see what, he, what, what the body's on about, okay? Because what matter, okay, let's not forget, experienced pro, um, really good guy to have around, you'd imagine. And he has come into this team every now and again and shown with Donny van der Beek even and Bruno Fernandes that um, link up play between those technically gifted players is is solid, and I've, I've enjoyed watching Mata when he's into, when he's played with the, with those two. But there are times maybe where Solskjaer could could use a squad more because if you go on Twitter during a game, I don't advise anyone to do so. But the second we go into a second half and we're not winning a game, the second people are calling for subs, subs have to be made straight away. And I know Solskjaer seems very slow at times. To react in games and to change our dynamic because in recent weeks it's been really really telling but I think of the likes of Juan Mata and that and if you have all those kind of players in abundance and you need to chase a game bring him on yeah Sheffield United would have been a good game to, to bring him on I think someone who can actually has got vision and anticipation and a really good IQ to be able to unlock a defence he definitely works well with Bruno Fernandes whenever I've seen those two players together they have a great understanding of each other that it's not something you can really train so players like that they just link up together really well uh, Mata and Ander Herrera had a really good understanding yes. when they played together as well I thought the best spell of form he had under Van Gaal was when those two and Michael Carrick were all fit and playing and United looked like a really good team but isn't it also a thing worth noting that when we signed one Mata now I love love Mata, but when we signed him initially, he was a superstar that had played in the European Cup finals, that had won honours with Spain, and you know won pretty much the lot. 
So he was coming in and he was almost expected, whether people were right to expect this or not, to come on, come in and do what Bruno Fernandes has done. Because people were looking at David Silva at City. And people were looking at, uh, at similar type players up and down or throughout Europe and looking at the influence they were having. And Manchester United could not get that out of one of their playmakers. They had tried Adnan Yanezai, tried Juan Mata. There was so, loads of players tried, Lingard in recent years and so on. And we couldn't get that player. I don't think it was really expected of Bruno Fernandes to do that. And I know he hasn't been great lately, but he has come into the team and done exactly what we would have wanted Juan Mata to have done. Yeah, I think uh, still for all the faults in, in the team, I think overall Fernandes came into a slightly better squad than what uh, Juan Mata came into. That squad was a mess. That Juan Mata, that was a that was an old squad that had really that had, had its day. It needed it was in desperate need of changes, and he's coming into that as such as he picked that up. He could have done with a few more younger, more sprightly players in around him, especially in the midfield, which is just. They weren't there, Dale. Those players weren't there. So you expect him matters to do something when nobody else is kind of pulling pulling weight around him, right? So that was um I think that was that was Matter's problem is he came into the club at the worst possible time, really. I think he deserved to come into a better club than would the you, absolute you... basket case that he did walk into. Would well, you or should I say helicoptered into? Would you agree that um he should be be played more often. Very difficult to say. I mean, that's, that's I'd like the thing. You, you, you clearly like him, but you haven't said that. And I, and I and I can I can kind of see why because I'm looking at it also looking back, and there's not particularly many games to be honest where I was saying bring Matt on, bring Matt on because we have Bruno Fernandez way better. We also he, can he accept. He doesn't. He doesn't like. I don't think Social likes those kind of attacking midfielders though. I don't think he's likes those kind of players. That what just offer nothing bar attacking because Matter doesn't offer much defensively, and they can totally see why. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't like these. I just don't think he likes these really smart, uh, technical, um, what I would call system players. But he just doesn't like them because, as I said many times, United don't really a particularly coherent team. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> he likes his team. Solskjaer is quite simplistic in his philosophy he likes his team to play on the break to play in these kind of like magical moments and stuff like that because that's how he thinks because that's how he remembers how United played under <laughs> Ferguson and for a brief time that is how United did play under Ferguson but for a big chunk of the time under Ferguson especially in big games that was not how United played United always went in to games especially big games he went in with a game plan so it's, I don't know whether he needs somebody in there with him in the coaching staff that's really going to counterbalance what is quite a naive way to approach in the game. Um, there, there is no room in that way of thinking for people like Juan Massa and, and Dolly van der Beek, I'm afraid. So we also have a question from Damien Young about the strikers and basically what's happened there. What did you make of, of that game against Arsenal yesterday and where did we lack in, that, in the final third to, to open the scoring? The decision-making in the final third was really poor. I thought Cavani made some really good runs, and then one of the other forwards just wouldn't feed the ball to him. Everywhere, the other forwards kept taking too many touches on the ball. And somewhere, Rashford has the ball, he takes first touch, and the next touch either needs to feed it in across to Cavani, who's on the post, or just hit it, just hit it to the goal and, and have a shot. And he takes another five touches. And, and the amount of times that happened in the game where 
Martial and Rashford were particularly guilty of taking way too many touches on the ball in the Arsenal area rather than making that either have testing Burnt Leno or making uh, a pass to, to open it up for somebody else and they just didn't do it. The fact is United's decision-making in the final third is virtually non-existent. Unless Bruno Fernandes is able to find a pass, United don't seem to be able to create clear goal-scoring opportunities. And that's a big, big problem. And then there's the fact that you've got Anthony Martial, who is not assertive enough to be a goal-scorer, to be a consistent goal-scorer. And Marcus Rashford is obviously has had a bad 12 months of injuries. And also, I'm not sure that's in his game. So it leaves us with essentially being reliant on Mason Greenwood, who seems to have fallen out of favour with the manager at the moment, and Edinson Cavani. And he's not getting the service that he needs to get. I think to epitomise the game in the first half, with Scott McTominay going down with a dose of the trots, um, you know, that summarised it nicely because United and Arsenal is bigged up to this big encounter didn't get that yesterday even for a neutral I'd imagine watching that was fairly fairly flat yeah well I think it was a bit better than the Liverpool game than with Liverpool maybe but it wasn't great no uh, it, was, it was quite poor it was, it was very flat you are correct on that one Martin Potter asks have the media overhyped us so they have a stick to beat Ollie with when we don't finish first I've not seen anyone but the media say we could win the league well, that's not true. I've, I've I've seen very few people in the media saying that we're capable of winning the league. I think it's United fans that have overhyped have overhyped us this season. I know. Um, I don't know. Got I... Excited, but that's that's the job of a fan is to get overexcited, right? When the team's doing well, what else are you supposed to do? I mean, you can't all be miserable bastards like I am. I'll be honest, but there's only, I only know one Manchester United fan who has been the last while actually talking about winning the league. Um, to be honest, I've, I've always maintained that I'm just buzzing to be part of the conversation again. <laughs> it's just because for so many years, it's pretty much throughout the, the post-Ferguson era, you, you can't even include the season we came second under Jose. But it's never felt like we were ever even part of the conversation. It's January. I know it's early. And as, as I said at the time too, the longer it continues that we're part of that conversation, that in its own shows progress to me. Now, it's the next step. The next step is a big one. Can we become a winning team? Can we win those important games? Can we respond when it matters? Can we win the semi-finals? There's still a lot, lot to be asked. Um, there's still a lot. But I think the media, I don't think the media really had much doing in hyping us up. They've had a lot of um, kind of punditry and what people think of United and stuff. But I don't think anyone has been saying United are going to win the league um, at all. I think, to be honest, we've really seen this week how they're really big up City, if anything, um, the media. I think the, the, the City have become the media's little sweetheart in all of this. They're delighted to see them come back after losing the title last season to Liverpool. I think they're enjoying it. They're probably a little bit sickened that they won't be doing many promos, not many Liverpool promos at Sky at the end of the season because they won't be winning the fucking league. Uh, I think that's a little bit kind of tin hat paranoid paranoia there, Dale. I don't think it's quite like that. I, I think they're big enough City because City are the best team in the league. Yeah, but also, yeah, okay, they're big, they're big enough City they're the best performing team in the league. But no one has ever has ever doubted that. And I think it's it's different that at the start of the year, people were talking about, oh, Kevin De Bruyne being injured, 
now for four to six weeks, and then you Kev or Sergio Aguero out. The reality is they haven't got they haven't replaced Aguero. He's been out for a long time. Um, they've also when when the fixtures start coming take a fast the Champions League, we all know that Guardiola is going to focus on on the Champions League. That is what he ultimately wants this season. Well, one thing I will say is City's favour, though, their defensive record is absolutely frightening. Def- they do have, by an absolute country mile, the best, de- not just in terms of the numbers, but you watch them, their defense their defense is so much better than pretty much every other team. And that's been a difference maker because when City score a goal against you, when they take the lead, you, you almost feel like that's that's pretty much game over. No, I, I, I know, I know. And, and look, they are. They're, they're streets ahead of us. I knew that before the start of the season. Um, I still think they're miles ahead of us. We have a lot of work to catch up with them, and I think we, we'll be closer again next season. But but, but Martin's, Martin's um, the whole point of his question, he says, are the media, or have the media apparently done this to use it as a stick to beep Hollywood? You know, do you, do you think that there's that going on? Because we've seen right up until maybe Lampard got sacked at Chelsea, that there was members almost in the media who have relations of, of Lampard and friends of Lampard and were very reluctant to to criticise him when others were doing so. so, so and they, and they, maybe they it? were right. And maybe they were right because we look at Oli and you look at Neville and, and there are times in which maybe people will say that oh, Neville's really kind of sitting on the fence there a little bit and maybe he's not saying how it is but for the most part I think he has been I don't think Neville has been blindly um, supporting Ali. I think he's been quite honest most of the time unlike some of the people here with Lampard that wouldn't criticise him well should we make a difference here between the pundits and the print media because mm. I think there is a very difference there yeah, yeah. The, print, the print media were not big fans of Fat Lampard at all let's be honest yeah. here a lot, of the, a lot of the journalists were not big fans of Lampard Really, they looked at Lampard and thought, why has he got this job again? Why can he not construct a remotely coherent defence? How has he ended up with... Uh, how has he ended up turning Timo Werner into Karsten Janka? How has that even happened? So I don't think they were... They were probably a little bit easier on Arteta, but I think that's because with, with print journalism, you like to sort of construct a narrative and try and see a bigger picture, right? I mean, you would know yourself, Dale. You are a print journalist, and it's... Obviously, it's... It's much easier to sort of, you know, be able to sort of write and talk about the bigger picture when you're actually doing print media as, yeah. as opposed to sitting there and, and giving sound bites at a studio, right? Mm. As an ex-pro, and, to be honest, a lot of the ex-pros really, they played the game, but they didn't know anything about it. I mean, listen to Jermaine Genius's uh, commentary. Second week in a row, Jermaine Genius after featuring. But he doesn't know. He, he listens to me. He doesn't know anything about the game. Michael Owen is another one. Played the game for years. Fantastically talented player. Not a clue about it. I mean, by getting Neville's own admission, pund- the, the reason ex-players go to punditry rather than coaching is because they just don't have that obsessive attention to detail that, that coaches have, right? That that's, that's the thing. And there's probably a fair few people out there who've gone in players who've gone into management who, should, who had no business being anywhere near it, frankly. I, I'm always sort of frustrated. I, I think a lot of, actually, when you talk about the media and Solskjaer, I think the pundits have very much been on the fence with Solskjaer and they have almost blindly backed him. Who, um, who's, who's the worst I, culprit? Before he went off to take his Inter-Miami job, um, 
the uh, Phil Neville, the assistant manager from uh, Mike Bassett, England manager, was the worst. He just talks absolute nonsense. Oh, yeah. I think these boys have got it in for Ollie. You and ITED, United are the team for me. It's just a complete moron. <laughs> Gary Neville, I think, has been a little easy on him as well. Those, those would be the two, I think, the ex-United players, with the exception of Keane, who has said back him, but as also Keane has been very clear of, he needs to start getting results. He needs to be winning trophies, otherwise, that's it. I think Keane is someone who, probably because he spent a bit more time in management than some of the other pundits, he really understands the nature of the game in that you need to be getting results on the board. He was talking about this in sort of January last season when United had only won like nine games, I think. And he was like, that's not enough for Manchester United. It's not enough. Simple as that. You have to do a lot more. There's a lot more to be done. I mentioned with this. So Roy Keane, I think, has been... has been. He hasn't sat in the fence. He just said it how it is. He obviously respects Ali, but he hasn't shied away from the fact of, of the objectives at hand. Neville, I, I think Phil Neville has been good. I think Neville has been honest in what he expects Wait, from this Neville? United. Gary? Gary Neville, yeah. I, I, oh, would, okay, I, not Phil. I wouldn't be listening to Phil too much. Um, but but Gary, yeah. Look, Gary's been it's just been saying how it is, really. I think he's been been able to pinpoint what Solskjaer should be getting from this team, what Solskjaer wants from this team. Um, and it, I think... The other week when we played Liverpool and he was on about how United were kind of sitting back and they, they don't play with a high line. And he analysed it pretty well that that is something that this team will eventually begin to do. When it is better defenders, probably better midfielders. And I, it, it's good. Almost to... like you, you need an almost entirely new defence to play, you think to play it, that way. Do you think he needs to totally clear it out? Shall I, shall I pull up what... Um... A former Leicester season ticket holder said about Harry Maguire. Oh, yes, George. yes. So la- la- last week we were talking about Harry Maguire and I asked Mike to go off and get the view of a Leicester City supporter on Harry Maguire from his time at the club before he joined Manchester United. So, Mike, what did you get? So, uh, basically, a friend of mine, Lainey, she's done a football fan, but she's from Leicester. She's got quite a few friends from back, back home in Leicester, uh, big Leicester City fans. And one of them, Sean... He used to be a season ticket old. He's not actually living in the UK now, but he was going regularly when Maguire was a Leicester City player. And he's this is a pretty good brief paragraph, like which I think is a good summation of his game. He said, I would say he was usually a 7 out of 10. His strengths were with a ball at his feet and he was good in the air. But mobility and agility are big weaknesses. I don't think any Leicester fan was sad to see him go for a 68 million profit over two seasons. Evans, Fafana... And so Young Chu are all better players than him. I'd say Johnny Evans is probably a better defender than him. I think who's had a better career? I think Johnny Evans has had a better career. For fine, I don't know enough of. So Young Chu I like, but he's a bit erratic. But that's <laughs> that's really scary. We paid eighty million for this guy. Apparently United have this incredible scouting and data analyst system, and that was the number one defender they picked out, a seven out of ten Leicester City centre half, who can't run and isn't very agile. I think that's a little mean on, on, on Harry Maguire. But have you seen anything about him in the time he's been at United that suggests any of that is wrong? Because I haven't. I no, think the player no. that we've seen, I think that's what he is, Dale. Yeah, but I think we can all, for any player, you can label out what, he, what he's good at and what he's not good at. The, like, the, the ultimate thing about Harry Maguire, and I've been very critical of him on, on, on this show, is... He has come in and, and added some sense or some feeling of security in comparison to what there was previously. 
he, he, he definitely, come on. You remember how bad the defence was before Harry Maguire came in. I'm not saying we defend well since he's come in, but I think it's a little bit better. It's not 80 million better, and we we both agreed the money that we paid for him was a lot. But I think we could have just bought back Johnny Evans from West Brom, and that but, would have been that would have that would have showed up a lot of issues. He would have done as good a job as Harry Maguire. So I'm baffled by this. Yeah, the the other the, the only thing is I think Harry Maguire can be a good defender. I think he can be part of a good defense. I think he could do a lot worse than Harry Maguire. But the one thing I will say is, and when he first came in, people analysed how he was a leader on the pitch, and there's definitely a few elements of that. But this season, I have to confess, when it's come to listening to post-match interviews, when Harry Maguire is kind of maybe being asked a few questions, um, he's become one of the most irritating figures to listen to. Um, in terms of making excuses and not, and not really taking responsibility. I don't think he knows how to take responsibility on the camera as well. He's trying to talk the talk about about being a Manchester United captain. But it's just, you know, some people will try and it just doesn't, doesn't quite rub off. I wonder, Dale, um, I mean, obviously I'm not on social media, but so I only kind of can gauge off the United fans that I speak to. Harry Maguire doesn't seem a particularly popular player among United fans. And that's a real concern for your captain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, I wouldn't say... Uh, I, look, if you go on social media, it's just it's very hard to to give a demographic of Manchester United fan. You wouldn't believe it. There's so many different types of splinter groups now. It's like splinter groups. Like It's all like kind of gone even, even political. So, so it's like Monty Python. Yeah. It's like the Judean <laughs> People's Front. Yeah. And the people's front of Judea and the popular people's front of Judea. <laughs> yeah, but th- this is the thing. All the United fans that I speak to, so the only opinions I get are United fans that I directly have contact with. Mm. And none of them are really that positive on Harry Maguire. The most positive I've had of Harry Maguire are from yourself and former and, and friend of the pod, Dan Stapleton. Mm. And I wouldn't say what you two have had to say about Harry Maguire is particularly glowing. Yeah, it's nothing yeah, more than yeah. he's a 7 out of 10 <laughs> player and he shouldn't be the captain. There's yeah. no way on earth he should be the captain. I remember after that, I think there's, there's two games this season where he really seems to have got up in the eye of the United fans. I think the Spurs game and the way he behaved during the Spurs game and then the City game, the way he behaved after the City game really incurred the ire of a lot of United fans. I mean, Roy Keane looked like he wanted to come out of the the the, the, the box where they were doing the analysis and storm down there and punch him in the face. He's like, cut that out. Get off the pitch. <laughs> it was right. I don't want to see that after we just got out of the Champions League in rather humiliating fashion three days earlier. And that's how you behave in a derby game. Like, you didn't really care. Like, it didn't matter. Harry Maguire has got... He's got enough brain cells that he could probably name them all and count them on one hand. That's what I have to say about Harry Maguire. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, he's, he's this sort of classic modern English footballer. I think a lot of English footballers who tend to get overhyped tend to buy into their own hype and then make a lot of excuses for themselves. You know, he's, he's very much got that Joe Hart mentality, I think, when I look at Harry Maguire. You know, he'd be doing head and shoulders adverts soon enough. You, I guarantee you. Heads. <laughs> um, Mike, i got to let it go on, on that note. Um, this week we'll be recording again, or next week, I should say. It's Sunday now. Um, next week we're playing Southampton. Just a quick look at their recent results before we let you go. Um, lost last time out against Villa. Yesterday, 1-0. 
they lost then league against Arsenal 3-1 after knocking Arsenal out of the FA Cup. Um, prior to that in the league, they lost to Leicester 2-0. And then before that, they bet Liverpool 1-0. Then drew at West Ham. So yeah, and then drew at Fulham. Lost to Man City. Okay, looking at looking at the results, that's not very good. There's a lot of draws. They're 11th in the table, just behind... Small squad, Chelsea. I think. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a small squad and... Obviously, the way they play, listen up. I think Ralph Arsenal's one of them. I think Ralph Arsenal is like one of him. the best managers in the Premier League. He's a brilliant manager, Dale. Like that, if you, if you know, I heard him to go through that Southampton squad, especially when he came in, I was lots of like, oh, that squad's got no business being in the Premier League. But they're yeah, a good like... Premier League team, like... and the way that they're able to go and compete in big matches. But I, I think because they're a small squad, I think they're going to have these kind of streaky runs of form because probably going to get a bit knackered and they have to pick themselves back up again, right? I can't really take uh, but... to him after he dived to his knees after beating Liverpool and like basically cried up Klopp's feet like he was the fucking messiah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, d- I don't know what to say. To <laughs> I remember that and I was just like, I was a bit baffled really, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticise anyone crying on the pitch. Um, but I, I, my concern about that was, if it was a cup final, I'd be like, yeah, all right, yeah, I'm a, I definitely yeah. I get that. But I'm a bit like, it was a league game in what Jan- January, December, January, December, yeah, January, yes, <laughs> no, a bit soon for that kind of stuff. It's like I'm not into like players like hugging and chatting and smiling and patting each other no, on the back I after the game. I fucking hate it. I feel. Get off the f- Get off the pitch! I, I, I see a big game. Get off the pitch! I'm going to confess that I feel ridiculous when I say that because when I, I I've often covered it on on Strike News and the blog during games when I see players hugging and stuff and the, the the City game with Harry Maguire that we already briefly mentioned that that really baffled me and, uh, and fucking annoyed me. But but yesterday there was a bit again with Danny Van der Beek and Martin Odegaard. Now I guess new signing, welcome to the country. I'm a new signing too. Blah blah blah. It wasn't too I mean, bad. With players that, warming up, that. that's fine. But when there's a game on, your your fucking mind should no, be not on. Not with a game on. If you if you want to do that after the tunnel, away from the cameras after the game, that's great. I don't expect players to not be friends with players that play the other clubs. That that's completely insane. I, I think maybe Roy Keane's a bit far with that one. I don't I mean, know. Is he? Wasn't even, it's a, it's a, it's Roy, a, it's Roy a Roy respect. It's about showing respect to the fans. Yeah, but Roy Keane wasn't even friends with his own teammates. So, mind, <laughs> so mind, never mind opposition players. Like I said, if you want to do that away from the cameras, you know, especially if you look, if you're a player in a, a foreign country and you've got another some of your other countrymen in the same city, I think that's that's understandable that you you maybe you know you uh, your friends off the pitch and stuff like that. But yeah, very much. Look, when you're on the pitch, all of that stuff stays off the pitch, right? You're on the pitch. You're there to win. That derby was particularly disappointing. I said at the time after that derby game, I think both sets of players had to take responsibility for that. There was no intensity at all. Frustrating. 100%. Mike, thanks for joining me this morning. Um, podcast will be up at some stage Sunday, so you'll have it for a few days before we play Southampton. Disappointing. Disappointing to drop points again. But are we by no means out of contention to, to, to make something of this season. City have played one game less, but have three points clear at the top of the table. Manchester United in second are 
two points ahead of Leicester, who have a game in hand on United. So we could be moving up and down a few places, but ultimately the, 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 the job for this team now, the task at hand, is to get winning games again. Um, and there's some big ones coming up, as we mentioned here. So make sure you subscribe to the Stratycast. Get all your latest Manchester United news from stratynews.com. Follow us on social media at the Stratycast and at Stratynews. You can also follow my personal account at O'Donnell Dale. Um, plenty of stuff going out there as well. And we'll see you again next week. Come on, you Reds. Podcast Network.